For more than the past year, we've been telling kids that to be close to each other is dangerous, literally. And now it's time to start reintegrating back to school, sports, and activities, but it's not as smooth or seamless as we might think. There's a lot going on. On top of that, kids today are growing up in a world where cell phone use and screens is ubiquitous. It's everywhere, all the time. Face-to-face -face socialization has been on the decline for years. There's a lot for concern. And the primary way teenagers grow is through healthy peer relationships. They learn about themselves and how the world works. And what's most important in life is they journey together, shoulder to shoulder and face to face. But when a lot of kids are carrying heightened anxiety about being together, and fewer kids in general have any adept social skills, it's time for us to rethink how we support kids in building those relationships. So welcome to our limited podcast series on social reintegration where we interview educators and practitioners to discover best practices and common sense tools for anyone who has a kid in their life. Welcome to the U School. Katrina, why did I thank you for being on the U School podcast? Where in the world are you? Tell us about you. Hi, um, so my name is Mrs. Widelicker. I go by Mrs. W with my students. Um, I am, I live in Carlsbad, but I'm born and raised Southern California person. So never really traveled in terms of, you know, moved out, no urge to move outside no, why would uh, the you? state. Um, but I'm an educator. So I've been in education since I, you know, left college. I've been a teacher, curriculum writer, trainer for adult education. So I've seen all facets of education. So currently, what are you doing? What are you teaching? And currently I am teaching high school at Carlsbad High School, uh, I teach English and uh, Lancer Success class, which is basically a support class for freshmen. Okay, so, and then I, from what I remember, you just kind of got back into the classroom right before the pandemic? Yes, so I was in the classroom for several years, uh -huh. left to be a curriculum writer and also stumbled into becoming a trainer for okay. post-secondary education and then came back into the classroom. And now I am in high school uh, during the pandemic. So, which is a great time to transition and try totally. to grade level. So totally. Yeah. Well, the focus of this podcast series is on social connection and socialization. And I, I guess I'd be curious to hear from your perspective. Obviously the pandemic and the shutdown has put that front and center. Kids are isolated. Kids have been isolated. Schools been shut down. Sports activities, etc. Uh, but there's also been a trend towards that for years. More isolation, more distance. What What are your thoughts on that? From what you've been doing in education all these years, I would say you're absolutely correct that this you know move towards isolation has been happening for years. It's nothing new, um, and I think of it as there's a physical isolation, a mental isolation, and a social isolation. Mm. Um, physically, I see it in the classroom with students and their devices. They are, mm. in it, during a conversation, on the phone, not yep. making that physical eye contact. Um, I've been seeing that for years. Um, emotionally, I think students, they respect each other, but they have a hesitancy to be vulnerable with each other mm. and really be authentic. And so there's that emotional isolation that's been happening, mm. which then leads to social isolation. They're a little hesitant to, 
you know, branch outside their group or branch outside and, you know, try, try to meet new friends and whatnot. Um, so I've been seeing it kind of brewing, yeah. but obviously the pandemic just, you know, exasperated it. I know for me as an adult, if I go somewhere, this is like pre pandemic, but I, I'm not, I'm not super keen on walking into a group and just like mingling. So the idea of having a phone there, I, and I'll be honest, there's been more than a few times where I literally like pretend to be in a phone call. Just, I mean, I don't know if anyone else has ever done that, but yeah. But the idea yeah. of hiding, uh, hiding behind the device, what you said mm-hmm. just, just struck me. I'm before the pandemic, I used to walk in our neighborhood and, and there's a series of high school bus stops and there would be, you know, five to 15 kids per bus stop. And I would notice at six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning, of course it's early, but yeah, no one's looking at each other. No right? one's talking. And I would do this, I mean, for months. And at one point I wanted to do this social experiment and just like walk up and be like, hey guys, <laughs> turn and look at each other. You've probably been in school with each other since you were six. And now you're pretending like you don't even exist next to one another. Mm-hmm. Like that is just bizarre. So from, from your standpoint, uh, trying to be an educator in a classroom through virtual and stuff, what are the problems then from that, those three levels of isolation? What, what happens? It's, I, I've always used student teacher relationships as the building block and basis of whatever I do, whether it's the content I teach, how I, you know, use classroom management. So typically, you know, you would spend the first two weeks, like building up that relationship with your class, with Mm -hmm. your students and whatnot. And I feel it takes longer and longer and longer for to build that relationship mm. where they feel like that they can trust you and yep. they see you as a support system, not as an adversary. And mm. that's, that's both students and parents too. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I have a, a child in school and I still see the same thing where, you know, I get even so busy that I forget to check in with his teacher, right, you know, and right. see how he's doing and, you know, just really offer my support in any way that I can. Um, so I, there's so many circumstances that are yeah. working to, you know, keep that separation existing. Yeah. So uh, really just, it, it just takes more time to build that relationship and that supportive network. What do you think kids are going to need when they return to normal life? Uh, anticipation that in the fall, activities, sports, school, mm-hmm. we're doing this all in person. What, what kind of intervention or what kind of skills or what kind of support, you know, what do they need? Yeah. I, I bring it down to two things, empathy and resilience. Those okay. are like the, the two that I try to foster the most huh. um, empathy because it allows you to, you know, take a step back from your own experience and put yourself in the shoes of someone else and really consider someone else's needs before your own and really consider, well, maybe that person's going through something painful. Maybe that Mm. person is perceiving something differently. Mm. So first empathy and then resilience. Um, I think there's been a misconception that you can just, students will, young people will overcome a difficult situation. But resilience really, I think is, being able to recognize when you're in a situation that you need help mm. and, and know who to reach out to mm. No, okay, this person is great at that. My yeah. counselor is great at that. I'm yeah. going to take the initiative to reach out because I'm having, I'm going through some stuff. 
Mm. Um, being honest with whatever you're going through, maybe yeah. it's, you know, some family trauma or anything like that, but, um, resilience isn't just the, that drive it's reaching out and finding your support network mm. and tapping into the right resources. That reminds, I just read this, I think this random research project that I stumbled on online where, uh, middle schoolers, new middle schoolers, sixth graders were given these uh, uh, kind of student testimonials from older kids to read. And, it, mm-hmm. and what happened is they actually, researchers made up these little testimonials. They wrote them as though they were kids. And what the kids mm-hmm. wrote, what they were reading was an eighth grader saying, when I was in sixth grade, it was really hard. And I felt lost and I felt anxious. But then I reached out to my teacher or then I joined a club. And so what they did was they, they had a group of students who read those and a group of students who didn't and then just tracked how they did in school for that year. And it was like mm-hmm. night and day. The ones who saw that from another peer, like, huh, I guess, you know, kind of helping themselves see themselves in that story of yeah. being resilient, reaching out, asking for help, joining something. Their attendance was up, their GPA was up, their like their happiness and connectedness to the school was up. So empathy and resilience, what does that look like, like on a practical level? How do you help kids do that? What what are some steps we can take? Yeah, um, I think I'm really lucky to be teaching English. First of all, um, I mm. read an I read a study or something where it says um, students who demonstrate the most empathy they're really strong readers. That they mm. you know, use fiction as an avenue for putting themselves in someone else's experience and understanding yeah. that story. Yeah. And so literature is one of those gateways into really recognizing the trauma of someone else. Um, There's this theory that literature can either be a mirror, a window, or like a sliding door. So it can reflect Mm. your own experience. It lets you perceive someone else's experience. It kind of gives you like that access. So I usually present the novels that I teach in that method. Um, And then I'll always just, I don't shy away from the tough conversations yeah. and I facilitate them as best I can. Huh. Um, I For always example. emphasize, you know, there's, there's two sides to every story. You don't have to accept it, but you have to be willing to listen to it hmm. and just, you know, be exposed to it. So with my Lancer success class, we had an issue. We were talking about, you know, how teenagers and the police, what does that look like? And I showed two different representations. Um, Carlsbad police, they were doing some homeless outreach, which was amazing. And the the kids weren't aware of that, what was happening in their community. And they just had been bombarded what was happening in the media. Mm. And then I challenged them, okay, I want you to go look at these videos of someone else's experience. You know, Mm. we had, you know, young women, people who, you know, had a variety of, you know, abilities or disabilities, um, different, a Holocaust survivor. So I just challenged them, like, find three people who you have literally no connection to, no connection to at all. Listen to their story. What do you find similar? What do you find different? Something you learned, whatever. So just that exposure um, has been great with empathy. So... And I mean, that the, the beauty of that is you're also teaching towards the English standards, I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know enough about them, but that sounds yeah. like just good learning. That's yeah. also yeah. really, really practical. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a skill set? So when I think of relationship skills, I think of things like 
asking questions, like really trying to break it down. Like football players, this is how you block, like step by step by step. Mm-hmm. What are what are some of those as as we open up? So if I'm a parent listening to this, if I'm another teacher listening to this, or someone who works with kids, what are some of the basic skills, or what's maybe the top of mind for you that kids they don't have right now and they could use? Mm-hmm. I I always go back to active listening is yeah. the the bare bones what you need. Yeah. Um, when I, when I have to discipline my child, I try to make sure we have eye contact yeah. um, and we are having that, you know, face to face in some way, shape or form. Um, I do also have those conversations with him in the car. Um, he's in the backseat and right. I, studies have shown like males tend to prefer, they don't like yeah. the direct eye contact when it's a difficult uh-huh. conversation. So having that awareness of, okay, that's his communication style. I know my communication style, we have to figure out yeah. what works for the two of us. Yeah. Um, so just going back to figuring out what's your communication style, how do you actively listen and how do you practice that depending on the person you're talking with and being upfront with, oh, I'm this type of style, you know, this yeah. is what works for me. Um, I tend to write my thoughts down before yep. I talk about yeah. them, you mm-hmm. know, recognizing how do you communicate and using that as like the mm. basis for moving forward. I think, I mean, that's such a simple genius. Like, <laughs> so as I talk to principals and stuff and they're, they're thinking about reopening schools, I've been asking that questions like, so what will you do differently this year? And I keep, I guess I keep hearing the answer of, well, nothing, I'm not going to do anything different. I think kids just need to go back to school as normal. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. like, don't you see what people, you know, what kids have been going through. And in to the point of our earlier uh, conversation, and they've also been on this trend towards needing this stuff anyways. So uh, back to status quo wasn't really a great place to be. Let's actually have a new vision perhaps and use this as a context to get there. Um, so I can imagine you actually teaching kids, whether it's through English class or homeroom or PE for crying out loud, how like role-playing active listening. Yeah. I'm going to try, then, then you take a turn and then debrief. And like, uh, imagine if they, if they had that, like what would what could be different about their time in school, their time with friends, et cetera. You so you work with freshmen. I know the Lancer Success class is a mm-hmm. lot of freshmen. Uh, and now you're gonna have sophomores next year who haven't spent much time on a campus. Or if it's parents listening, they're gonna have like my son is going to high school next year and he mm-hmm. really wasn't in eighth grade. He just like <laughs> it virtually just, was there. Yeah. So what a, it's like a leap, like, um, like this time capsule leap and all of a sudden you're jumping out. And I, I think there's going to be quite a few kids that are feeling really anxious about that mm-hmm. going back to normal, especially kids, maybe that are more like me back in the day of introverted, um, shy, overwhelmed, mm-hmm. uh, socially anxious. Do you have any thoughts on what they can do to enter in, uh, or parents that can give their kids advice to enter back in well? Oh, that's a really good question. I would say having a willingness to be vulnerable. I like, I feel that a lot of people are guarded with what they say, how they are, you know, feeling just even expressing I'm under stress, you know, what, what have you. Um, I've seen students, especially during the pandemic, they, wait till things get to get Mm. overwhelming and then they ask for help 
um, instead of being upfront and saying, Hey, this has been going on, you know, I might need some support in this, or I need some support in that. Um, you know, just, can I have some grace, whatever it is. So being really vulnerable and honest with what's, you know, what you're feeling, what you're, what's going on and just being willing to share about, Mm -hmm. you know, what was pandemic life like for you? Um, I think every, I think there's a perception that people want to be like, okay, it's great. We're like, we're, we're, we can be free. Like, let's all go be happy. But you need to be able to process, you know, the loss you may have experienced or yeah. the frustration you may have experienced. Um, right. It's not going to go away overnight yeah. and it's not going to go, go away just because, you know, certain things are opening or certain things right. are changing. Right. So, well, um, Thank you. Thanks for being a part of my world. I yeah. get to learn from you and and, yeah. and learn from how you think. And uh, thanks for being on the podcast. And we wish you all the best awesome. this summer. Hope you get all the rest that you need, especially with having a little one at home. Yes. And <laughs> fully ready for next year to welcome our kids back to school. So thanks. Well, I'm very excited too. And this was awesome. We could talk about this endlessly, I, know, I feel like. <laughs> so. All right. Take care. Great. Bye. Well, thank you. There are a series of questions that are crucial for every young person to answer in order for them to be fully prepared to make the best decisions for their future, but they rarely get the chance to even think about these questions. One of the most common conversations we have with kids is about their future, and it's not actually helpful. We always ask, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? And maybe it's an interesting question to us, but it's rarely helpful. Typically, it just creates anxiety and more confusion And we like to finish that conversation with a nice little lecture, (laughs) but it doesn't give them clarity and confidence like we hope. So what's a better way to help them? That's what we want. Well, we put together a free mini course for students. It's called When You Get Older. And with just a few simple reflection exercises, we're going to guide them to consider who they want to be someday, not just what they want to do. It's a much, much more helpful starting point. And it's a conversation that can be started in the course and continue for years to come. It's really simple to get started and free. I'm not sure if I mentioned that. Just click the link in the bio, share it with your kid, and we'll take it from there.